Hello and welcome to another TV Central podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. For this podcast, I want to explore the position of each of the three channels and how they have fared since ratings began in February this year up until Saturday, April the 16th, the day before the two-week non-ratings period begins, to assess the hits, the misses, the achievements and the controversies. To do that, I'm joined by Dan Barrett, producer and co-host of the TV industry discussion podcast, Televised Revolution. He produces and co-hosts the TV review podcast, The 400 Club, and he writes for the TV blog at Crikey White Noise. Check him out at the theradiowolf.com. That's theradiowolf.com. Dan, thanks for joining us away from the te- television revolution podcast and appearing here at TV Central. Hey, how you doing, Aaron? Fantastic. Hey, look, let's start with the um, Seven Network. They're going gangbusters so far. The best start to the rating season in the network's history. And there is uh, no having to adjust any sort of figures as they are winning nights, weeks, total viewers, 16 to 39s, 18 to 49s, 25 to 54s, primary combined channels, the lot. Um, what do you put this down to? Is it better programming by Seven or is it just poor alternatives on, on 9 and 10? Um, see, I don't know. I've been thinking about this a little bit. And I think it's a bit more of a wide question than really just looking at the ratings that we have traditionally over recent years. I mean, if you're just going to look at this year, there's a few things to keep in mind, which is that tends in a fair bit of flux at the moment. Management's kind of all over the place. They don't have a CEO. They're in courts at the moment to try to get their CEO. You know, I think everyone there's a little bit sort of a little bit on edge, perhaps, as to what's going on. And I think Nine's a little bit shell-shocked by just having a bad start to the year. Like, they had the Ben Elson fiasco, which never really quite worked out as they really hoped. And I think mm. that maybe with Easter coming, they'll have a few t- a few weeks to sit around and maybe sort of gain a little bit more um, reflection as to what's going on. Um, I think what we're seeing this year in 2011, and probably more so than any other year to date, is that we're actually seeing the effect of those digital knowledge channels fully kick in. The one thing that's going to drive them, of course, is content. And 2011 and the second half of t- 2010... It's the first time we've really actually seen some decent content being pumped through. And you're really starting to see that knock around the viewership, moving across the spectrum of various multi-channels, depending what sort of, I guess, niche viewing needs they've got. And we're also starting to see the firming up of the switch off from broadcast TV. And I mean, with Channel 10 and Channel 9, particularly this year, aiming quite a bit younger than 7, I think we're just starting to see the effects of that turnoff. And so 7 skewing older... And you can evidence, like that's evidenced by what they're doing on Sevens, who I think they're just a bit more immune from it, but they're not completely immune. I think next year you might start seeing a bit more of the same slide that 10 and 9 have had. Yeah, I mean, some people are putting putting it down. Okay, there's a few points you brought up, but also My Kitchen Rules has been doing well. But, I mean, you have to give credit to Seven. I mean, their news and current affairs are, are actually holding up home and away is winning um at 7 p.m time slot most nights uh sometimes abc news picks it up there um but doing well with sunday night the force border security is still pulling in over 1.2 million uh castle bones brothers and sisters rafters winners and losers um debuted pretty well criminal minds still pulling over 1.1 million viewers and great demos for things like how i met your mother Grey's anatomy and desperate housewives so they are really, they are doing well. I mean, what do you think is a standout performer for Seven at the moment? Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, you also have to consider, what do you really mean by well? Because you're saying that those shows are doing over a million, and I don't mean to get antagonistic, I know I just sound it that way. <laughs> but, like, you look at this last night, and the news, I mean, I'll admit, the share-wise, it's actually looking fairly good. But you start seeing a lot more ABC shows cropping in there. So, I mean, 
I think that's more taking it from Channel 10 and 9 than it is Channel 7. But, like, even Bones, which you mentioned, that's doing under a million. I mean, that had, what, 908,000 nationally last night. So, so ultimately, a repeat. It was a repeat, but even so, I mean, it's still, top, like, number 10 in the top 10 shows on a Sunday night, one mm-hmm. of the bigger nights of the TV week. I mean, I think that's just a little bit indicative of what we're actually seeing across the board, which is that even the high-rating shows aren't really rating anywhere near as much as they used to. And again, you're looking at that issue of the multi-channels are in there, people aren't really watching TV in the same way that they used to. So, I mean, you can say that Channel 7's having a great year, and share-wise, I wouldn't disagree with you in the slightest, but is it really that good? Like, are they really bringing more people to TV, or is it really just sort of people... Sorry, my phone's going nuts here. That's all right. Uh, sorry about that. Um, but yeah, is there really sort of new viewers coming in at all, or are they really just sort of taking the best of what's around? Mm. All right. Well, just some individual shows. I did mention uh, My Kitchen Rules. Um, has to be considered a hit for seven. Um, do you, But do you still see the show as a warm-up to MasterChef, or is, or is it a hit in its own right now? Well, I mean, again, like, you use the word hit, and fair enough, I think it's performed remarkably well for seven if you asked me at the beginning of the year whether My Kitchen Rules would have performed anywhere near as well as it did, I'd have said no. I mean, a lot of ways it's a knockoff, or at least a reaction to MasterChef. But, I mean, they've managed to massage it into something which is a decent ratings performer. And, I mean, as I said, it's far exceeded the expectations I had. But, I mean, it doesn't really have that same brand strength as MasterChef have. And, I mean, there's certainly a potential and a possibility for them to grow and nurture the, uh, nurture the brand as it goes along. But it's still... I don't know, for me, a hit show has to be more than just a decent ratings winner. I mean, MasterChef, I think, was a full-on blown-out hit. Like, it's changed the cultural landscape of Australia. Like, Australia was watching that show. Whereas My uh, My Kitchen Rules, like, just lots of people are watching it. Mm. I guess it depends what what you define as a a hit, really. Um, Well, that's kind of it. Like, I think it's just changing in 2011. And I think maybe we just need to start adjusting our language, perhaps, a little bit more to what the reality of it is. And when you think about, say, My Kitchen Rules, like, what was it rating generally? I haven't paid that much attention to the... Um, most nights it was getting 1.3, 1.4 million. So, I mean, in the, yeah. in the in in terms of the current landscape that you're talking about now, I mean, 1.3, 1.4 is actually, you know, very good now. Oh, no, I think that is very good. But, I mean, again, like, I don't know if I'd want to call it a hit, but maybe I've just got really high standards. Mm, well, I mean, the the finale of My Kitchen Rules, the, the the bit that they coded as the winner announced rated over 2 million, and that is the only show in this rating season that, that has been over 2 million. So I, you have I, to, I, I guess... You, yeah. I guess you have to I mean, kind I, of look at... Not, uh, funny. No, sorry. Um, yeah, I guess you have to look at whether, it, in terms of what can be a hit, because these 2 million plus programs aren't, aren't really happening too much anymore so i guess it just in terms of ratings anything over 1.4 million which is quite rare i think most networks are sort of considering a hit i mean the networks are i don't know i mean i just look at these things and what i consider to be a hit obviously isn't the same as you know what people are telling their media buyers mm. do you think this success of um, my kitchen rules may impact master chef this year positively or negatively Well, I don't know. Like, you look at MasterChef, and MasterChef really is, like, the big daddy of Australian TV right now. Like, I don't think it... Like, it would be a really masterful job if they're actually able to sort of knock the sheen off MasterChef. 
I don't think it's really going to do that at all. But I think there might be some viewers who maybe just get a little bit tired of cooking shows and maybe aren't going to be as enthused about MasterChef as they had been. But, I mean, I don't think it's that much they have to be worried about. I'd be concerned maybe about two or three years if that My Kitchen Rules format's allowed to develop a little bit more and become more ingrained in what we're watching in Australia. Mm. Well, another show, uh, Bones, with new episodes, it's been rating... Um, over a million on Sunday nights. They did have that twice-a-week thing at the start of the year when Underbelly was on Sundays and Mondays, and that held up really well against Underbelly. I am hearing that Seven May air new episodes on Monday nights with, re- with repeats on Sundays after Easter. Would you be a fan of such a move, or could it dilute, dilute the show altogether? Well, I don't know. I mean, it depends what Channel 7 really want from Bones. I mean, if they're after a long-term performer, I'd be a bit concerned about it with multiple air dates across a week because that might be overkill. But, I mean, if you're really sort of honest about it, Bones has been running for a couple of years now. Its longevity is probably a little bit of an issue. Like, is not necessarily going to be as popular as it is at the moment in a year or two's time, or will the format of the show sort of die off? I mean, how many seasons is it in now? Would be season four? No, I, well, I think they're up to six now. Oh, six. Okay, it's been going much longer than I thought. Even then, like, how long does an American drama series run of this nature? I mean, six surprised me. I would have thought... A show like Bones would be gone between six to eight seasons. So, I mean, if Seven really want to, I guess, make sure that they've got a long-term brand on their hands, I'd be wary, but I'd say they probably just want to squeeze what they can out of it now while it's a fairly big show, and hopefully that carries over the last two or three years that it has remaining. And, I mean, you look at what Channel 9's done over the last few years with Two and a Half Men and before Uh... that Gordon It's about playing things sort of as much as possible, getting that bang out of it, but it's not a long-term investment for the show. And they're more than willing to let the shows just sort of slide away, depending on your audience whims at the time. Well, Seven made a big investment with uh, Conviction Kitchen this year, so you, you couldn't do a podcast and talk about Channel 7 without that show. In the current environment, you, in terms of ratings, you could say it did okay, but nothing overly spectacularly. Why don't you think it was a major success? Was it too much airing it with My Kitchen Rules? Was it the format, the execution of the show? What do you think? I mean, in a way, too many kitchens spoil the broth. Mm. I mean, I think this could have been a wild success if it was a... Actually, no, I don't think the show ever would have been a wild success, but I think it would have been a decent ratings performer if it was just out there by itself. I think that after My Kitchen Rules, it was always not going to quite have that same level of attention sort of heaped upon it. So it's never going to perform that well. But my thought is that if they do decide they want to run with Conviction Kitchen again next year and maybe the year after that, it might be a brand where they decide to... I guess sort of let it, uh, I guess, build a bit more of a following behind it. It may just be a consistent performer for them. I don't know. I, I don't know anyone who's particularly excited by it. If it disappeared, I don't think anyone would ever notice. Yeah, well, I guess like a few people, I just tuned in when I could and, yeah, it didn't do anything overly spectacularly for me. I guess uh, one other show, uh, they threw in another cooking show, Heston's Mission Impossible, which didn't fire either. In fact, I would think Seven would have been disappointed with the ratings. They are airing an episode in the non-ratings period, an episode that appears to be skipped altogether in the Melbourne market. Why don't you, uh, why don't you think the My Kitchen Rules audience flocked to this show? I mean, again, I mean, I'll have to admit, until this week, I actually didn't know who Heston was. I mean, this isn't the sort of show that's geared towards me. And he never really sort of came up on my radar beyond me knowing there was some sort of chef named Heston. Now, he's an American, right? Is it American or British? Uh, British, I believe. He, he's on SBS <laughs> as well. He, he does I was a... watching some clips on YouTube the other day. Um, I don't know. It's not an Australian show. It doesn't really resonate in that same way that 
I think Australians want it for in order to get those sort of maximum viewer numbers. So, I mean, it was never going to reach My Kitchen Rules audience levels. And I don't know, it just kind of felt like too much cooking. Yeah, I think that was definitely one of the factors with that. Too. There was uh, ended up being three cooking shows on in one week. Uh, another show, Winners and Losers. Um, tell me straight up, do you like it? Um, I've never watched it. Um, the you? one thing with... I'll, like, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm a 30-year-old male of whom most of my TV consumption is stuff that I've watched, uh, like broadcast shows off a of PVR. It shows that don't air in Australia that I've managed to get off the internet or it shows that I've found streaming on sites like, you know, an iView or some overseas sites as well. Essentially, I've got so much TV to choose from that I'm more inclined to be choosing just like those couple things that really appeal to me. So across Channel 7, all I really find myself watching is repeats of like the Drew Carey show and Murphy Brown. Um, oh, what's that show called? Um, Head of the Class. Just random yeah. things I'm finding on 7-2. And then the occasional episode of The Amazing Race. So, I mean, I look at something like Winners and Losers, and I feel that I probably should give it a go once or twice because I'm blogging about TV and I'm talking about it, but I'm just not interested. And from what I'm hearing from people who've actually watched the show, a lot of them kind of feel the same way about that. Like, people of whom are wildly excited about Pack to the Rafters, which blows my mind that anyone is, but, you know, I can deal with the fact that I'm not necessarily driving along with mainstream Australia on that mm. one. But it just sort of seems like it's a show that really hasn't captured anyone's attention in a big way. Yeah, I mean, I've I've watched it from the beginning, and uh, I guess some of the characters are starting to become character caricatures, and you know, I've just not not quite firing in in the way of Pack to the Rafters. I mean, I do watch Pack to the Rafters; I love it. Um, but I mean, I will mention just in terms of programming, if, even if you're not a fan. Um, do you think it was wise for Seven to, to launch the year with, with just a few episodes of Pack to the Rafters and then use that to launch Winners and Losers and then go back to Pack to the Rafters? Or do you think that might actually... You know what? I actually think it wasn't really such a bad idea at all. Now, how many episodes are they into with uh, Winners and Losers? It'd be five or six at this point? Yes, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, and how many have they got for the run? Like, I think it's a ten-episode run, but I could be off... Well, there's a, right? there's a few media reports going out. I mean, I'm I was thinking that Seven actually had a full run of that show, a full 22 episodes. But See, I thought it was a much shorter run. I mean, I could be wrong. It's not something that's really been on my radar that closely. I mean, my thought with a show like this is they've got Packs of the Rafters, which is a big success story. I'm also thinking five or six episodes in on almost most, like almost any TV show, particularly a relationship drama comedy sort of show like this. It's not necessarily going to be firing on all those cylinders just yet. Like, it takes a bit of time for, one, the writers to find their place with the show and actually work out what's working and what really isn't. Um, actors need a little bit of time to really sort of find their home within a lot of the characters. Like, shows usually aren't that great for the first season. And, I mean, five or six episodes in, I think it's just a bit rough for you to be expecting it to work the same way that Pax the Rafters do. And, I mean, lots of people have been critical of the show, but I think it's just that they're used to watching Pax the Rafters in that time slot. It was sold with a Pax of the Rafters vibe to it. And when they all tuned in and saw it wasn't quite as polished as Pax of the Rafters is, okay, like maybe it didn't really quite resonate. Mm. Yeah. I mean, my thought is that they'll probably end up keeping uh, winners and losers through for a second year. And it might sort of pay off to put it in that 9.30 time slot and maybe even run it after Pax of the Rafters. I don't know if it'd be too much of that same vibe or not. But they could probably do with that show the same thing they did with shows like All Saints, which is you run that 9.30 slot after they did with Blue Healers, let the show develop a little bit and just find a bit of a following. I mean, the show needs some time to find itself, I think. 
So put it at 9.30, let it build up that following, and then maybe move it to an 8.30 slot when Pax the Rafters is starting to reach its end. Well, I think that's a definite possibility. Um, I think Parenthood, which is screening at 9.30 now, will run out of episodes um, probably in about six weeks, and then they've got that opportunity in June to bring back Pax to the Rafters and maybe follow winners and losers at 9.30. Look, we talked about, um, or you just mentioned at the start of the program, with Channel 10 having a few executive issues and stuff. Seven have had some stuff outside of programming as well. Seven Media Group and the Western Australian newspapers will be merging to form a new company called Seven West Media. The final transaction for this uh, is to occur, should be this Thursday, April the 21st, to be totally official. Do you think this is a positive step for the uh, Seven Network and do you see any flow-on effect to the Seven program schedule? Um, I mean, I'm not a business major, so I mean, I don't really think that I can come up with a cohesive answer to whether it'd be good for Seven or not. The way I sort of see it as the idiot that I am, the idiot savant, um, I kind of feel like it's just them consolidating their assets and just restructuring things. I don't think it's going to be massive changes across the board anywhere. I could be wrong. They may just restructure everything and it could completely revolutionize the companies for you know years to come. I think it's going to be a pretty gradual sort of a process, though. I don't think you're going to see much. And whether it affects the program schedule, I'm not too sure if it will directly. Obviously, a lot of the management changes in place with David Leckie have been more or less what's led James Warburton to want to leave the network, and that's caused the entire other headache that they have right now. But I'm not really too sure that you're going to see anything beyond the fact that there's going to be a new head of sales appointed and see the effects that that has on the organisation. I mean, Leckie's attention is going to be diverted slightly with this, but his passion's TV, so I can't really see that it's going to have that big an impact. I was just thinking, though, in the environment that we're in now, television is not just television. There's catch-up services, there's advertising, there's magazines that, that the Seven Network have that um, are coming into TV shows. I mean, you have Better Homes and Gardens already. They had the outdoor room. There's a Marie Claire one coming up too. So I think consolidating... Well, or, or moving into a business model where you, where you do own a newspaper, you do own a magazine, you, you do own a, um, of course, I own Yahoo 7, um, and all that kind of stuff actually will will, will be a way of, of, of programming slightly differently and actually having a, um, a multi-platform marketing campaign for a program. What do you think well, about that? Well, I mean, they're that? already doing that with Pacific Mags. Like, when I mean, they own all that stuff, and that's kind of what's carrying over with their brands to Channel 7. Like, is Western Australian Newspaper Group really bring anything to the table in that kind of a way? I mean, I'm not sure what their holdings are, so, I mean, maybe you're a bit more clued in than I am on that. Well, I mean, they, they have a... I mean, the Western Australian newspapers obviously hold the actual only daily newspaper in, in WA, and, of course, they own all the community newspapers in WA, and they actually have a, quite a few other assets. But I'm saying if you put that on top of the internet company that Seven own as well, and then the magazines and the... And the uh, uh, the catch up service and Yahoo and stuff like that. I just think it it, it could you know it, it's a different platform for for broadcasting television now. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't see it impacting Channel Seven that much. The reverse may happen. It could affect West Australian Newspaper Group. But I mean, my thought is that the only thing that they're really bringing in is a Western Australian newspaper. And it's not like you're going to suddenly see, like, the primetime schedule across Australia reflecting some Western Australian news and current affairs. I think we're really just going to see more or less what Seven's done, which is have a fair bit of synergy across their uh, press holdings, so everything through PacMags, and then what you've got on Seven and have that bleed go back and forth. 
the uh, as as a lot of people may know, when if they do have a look at ratings, though, um, especially in the in the smaller Perth market, Seven absolutely dominate, and now taking on and having that flow on marketing campaign through the West Australian, which is is the only daily newspaper, Monday to Saturday, um, may only increase uh, Seven share even more with with more avenues to market. So um, because I mean the Seven News in in Perth is just like doubles, triples, nine news sometimes over here. So um, interesting. Anyway, we did uh, speak very... Sorry, just because pre- yes. you, per- you are Perth-based, and mm. sorry, I'm in Brisbane, so I don't really get to read the Western Australian newspapers all that often. Uh, do you actually see a fair bit of promotional stuff for Channel 7 through there already? I mean, Stokes is the owner of both, so it's... Yeah, oh, absolutely. So you-, you, do, you do see yeah. a lot, and you also do see it through 7 at the end of... Um, bulletins uh they actually have a a flick to you can catch up with the the latest news and stuff through the west australian and and stuff like that so there's definitely a synergy between the two yeah no that's interesting um look that james wolverton case that we're talking about we'll just touch on this a little um some explosive claims did come out during during the court case. I mean, do you think cases like this will have any impact on eyeballs watching programs, or, or is all this just boardroom battles that have um little impact on viewers? Okay, well, I mean, the stuff that's happening in the courts right now, I mean, no. But if you think about, it, I mean, you're talking about someone becoming the CEO of a TV network. As soon as War Burden makes his way over to Ten, whenever that might be, you're obviously going to see some massive changes take place within Ten executives are going to change the entire flavor and vibe of the channel are pretty much at start at stake i mean warburton may work towards channel 10 strengths or he may decide that none of it's really working and try to really revolutionize it into a tv channel to exist in 2011 or maybe he'll screw it up entirely and it would just end up reverting back to what it was in the mid 90s which just i don't think really necessarily works in the tv market here in 2011 i don't know i mean it's interesting it's really whatever Warburton's whims are. Look, I, I, with this court case, I mean, every time Seven fire up about this, Ten always hit back with, we look forward to James Warburton starting with a Network 10, as always <laughs> planned on July 14th. We look forward to James Warburton starting with Network 10 every time. Now, I've heard that over and over again. A decision will be made on May the 12th, whether James can start on July the 18th at Network 10 or whether he'll have to wait 18 months. So let's do the bets. Will the decision allow James to start on uh, in in July for 10 or not? Um, well, there was an interesting article, and I'm going to plug Crikey, who are, you know, goodly enough to let me blog with them from time to time. There was an article published last week, I want to say it was, uh, where they were talking about the potential start dates for James Warburton, and they were looking at the various events on a TV calendar of which let you, I guess, more or less um, start working for a competitor. So they were pointing out like two specific sort of calendar dates on the year of which may end up sort of persuading a judge to determine that it would be a bad idea for Warburton to go to the competitor because he has too much information. So the first thing was the AFL negotiation rights. And the second thing is the rates being negotiated for the 2012 TV season, because obviously Warburton would be fairly privy to know about any discounted rates and the like. And so sort of keeping those sort of two dates in mind, I mean, the AFL things probably... Uh, like next week or two, I think we're probably going to see an answer on that one. So, I mean, I don't think the discounted rates is really that big an issue. I mean, it's six, seven months between when Warburton's moved over to 10 or when he was first poached. So, uh, like when the rates are actually going to be in place. 
So, I mean, I don't think he's that privy to actually know what the rates will be that far in advance. Things can change. So, I mean, I would have thought as soon as we know about the AFL, he should more or less be able to move over. Well, I mean, the last bids were actually put in today, so we actually should get a, um, a result on that in the next 48 hours, I've just read this morning. So, um, I mean, so you, I'm just saying, if you, if you had to actually put money on a bet, do you think he'll be starting with Channel 10, as they always say, July 14th, he'll be starting? I don't know. I suck horribly at the Melbourne Cup, and that's my one betting point of the year. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of him starting mid-year, just because I like a little bit of anarchy that it all brings to the industry. I don't know. Like, maybe. I, I'll say yes for the purposes of excitement on this podcast. Yes, he's starting <laughs> on July 18th, and he will wear a red tie. <laughs> Wearing a red tie. Beautiful. Um, oh, look, I'm, I'm saying that he will. I mean... Probably because uh, Seven just don't seem to win any court cases. If you if you followed, <laughs> they just have like zero luck. Stokes never wins in court, and uh, I, you just can't see him ha- having to sit out and wait um, eighteen months to to start. So, look but back Seven to Seven will give it a good go, and I'm excited by that. <laughs> so, um, just the last couple of things with that channel Seven Seven Two. Look, it, it's overtaken um, Go to be the number one total people viewer channel. Um, the channel's obviously rerun British content heavy um, in prime time. What are your thoughts on this channel as a whole? Um, well, I mean, as I said, the only things that I'm really watching on it seems to be really dodgy sitcoms from the mid-90s. And, I mean, that really lends itself much more to me as a viewer than, I guess, what Seven Two are doing, except they are playing great dodgy sitcoms from the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Um, as a channel, I do feel that it's maybe a little bit overly reliant on British content and British content from the mid-90s through to the mid-2000s. I don't really know if there's that much first-run stuff sort of getting a go on there. Um, you might have a better idea than I do in regards to that. It's not well, something I pay a huge amount of attention to. Well, it's, pr- um, it's pretty yeah, much I'm... not running any 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 um, new programming. I've got the, I've got Escape to the Country and... 60-minute makeup and a, and a couple of little things. But, I mean, generally at night, it's it's um, heartbeat. Jonathan Creek, you know, Doc Martin's coming and the Bill's coming. I mean, it's 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 basically a rerun British content channel. Which Actually, is great. There's two young girls. Like, we're completely excited about this. I can tell in your voice, and I know the uh, excitement that sort of wells within me when I think about the 7-2 schedule. But, I mean, the thing is, it's working. I think that there's a market for content like this which has previously been ignored in a big way by the networks. There's always been a little bit of it, but not really to the volume that 7.2 is outputting. I think viewers are are responding favorably to it, but I'd have to assume, and I haven't seen the demographic breakdowns, that it's an older viewer that are really tuning in to take a listen, uh, take a watch of it. So I don't know, is it valuable to uh, marketers to be catering so heavily towards such an older viewer? I think if you look at the advertising thing, I mean that's one issue. I mean I absolutely love Seven Two, and I actually don't watch anything on it, but I, but I, but I like the fact that it exists because I think television should exist for all people. I mean, there, you know, there's a blokey channel and there's a there's a girl channel and there's all sorts of different programs. But I mean, quite often even my grandma will say, "Oh, there's nothing to watch," and she's got something to watch now. I mean, there are older people that sit at home and. And needs something to watch on TV, and and the ABC seems to be getting a little bit younger these days. And I just think it's great that there's a free-to-air channel that caters for people that are over 55 and and can sit down and watch all their all their British content and stuff. I mean, nothing wrong with that, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on how you want to approach television. 
I mean, if you're approaching television from an industry perspective, it becomes worrying when you've got so much of older viewer skewing content because obviously media buyers aren't really that excited by it because advertisers want to skew young for the most part. But I mean, from a viewing perspective, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think it's great that there is actually content like this on the airwaves and it is an audience of whom still watch TV. And I think that needs to be remembered. Mm. Um, Seven Mate now still getting used to that name, but it's uh, also doing well and certainly attracting more male viewers than there are female viewers watching Gem. What are your thoughts on that channel? Um, again, like, there's not a lot of stuff that I am watching on it. There's the occasional thing that I do sort of stumble across. I find it's okay for casual viewing, but there's nothing really that excites me too much. And I mean, I think it's a bit funny, and I do this as well, so I'm really not having a go at you. Mm. But thinking about Gem as being a women's channel, I know it was kind of broached that way by the initial sort of discussion of the channel, but I've never really seen anything on it which really gears itself to being a female skewing channel. Like, you watch the Sunday night movies, and I saw, like, Zodiac on there the other week. It's not really something which I think is female skewing. Yeah, I'm, I'm just quoting what, what what it is that they're trying to attract, though. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what the network is, is thinking. Um, and yeah. they well, do I mean, show a lot of those... But I don't know if that's actually necessarily what they're doing. I really see Gem as just being an extension of the Channel 9 brand. I'm actually seeing Gem really as as a as them forming another 7-2, really. I mean, if you look at some of the content, it is, it is for older people rather than just women. I mean, there's a lot of these, that, that hoarders program and these antiques type, antiques roadshows slipping into the schedule quite a bit. Um, They've got, I mean, the clothes are in there, which I suppose is more women-generated than, than older, but they, they just seem to have a lot of a lot of um, old, older, as time goes by, if you notice, is on there on the on the weekend as well and, and stuff. So, yeah, I just think maybe they're going for the same... These shows that wouldn't really be out of place on the Channel 9 schedule either. I mean, I just think, like, it's kind of like a 9-2. It's an extension of the 9 brand. Mm. Hey, let's talk about 9. Um... They, they, they launched the year as being the home of comedy. Well, Ben Elton was axed. Mike and Molly is not rating well. Two and a half men fell in a hole, basically. Um, Shit My Dad Says tanked and was removed, although it does return in a new time slot on Thursdays. Big Bang Theory ratings are down significantly on last year. In fact, they don't really have any comedy that is firing for them. How did... I guess my question is, how did they get the audience so wrong? They felt the audience wanted comedy in 2011, and and it just hasn't fired. What happened? Well, I mean, you're talking about the fact that uh, they're saying that the audience wanted comedy, and then the show's being listed. Let's run through them again. Uh, There was Ben Elson live from Planet Earth, Two and a Half Men, uh, Bleep My Dad Says, The Big Bang Theory. Like, none of these are really great comedies. It sort of seems like Channel 9 this year thought to themselves, 2009, 2010 were complete gangbuster years for the ABC. And it's like there was sort of this ABC fetishization that was taking place within the organization that kind of made them feel that, like, that was the answer to their comedy. So you're seeing Ben Olsen on the channel this year. Later this year, you're seeing a Gruen uh, Gruen Transfer-style show with Tony Martin hosting. uh, I want to call it The Joy of Sets, but I don't think that's the name that they'll end up going with. Um, there's also going to be a new season of The Games running on Channel 9. Like, they just seem very ABC-centric. And I don't think any of the shows coming up are shows that are going to rate particularly that well. And you look at their American imports, Two and a Half Men, which, you know, you've got just as many people who think it's god-awful as are actually really into it. 
And two and a half men, you look at this year, like, I don't think anyone could have predicted all the Charlie Sheen business going on. Uh, Big Bang Theory, I don't think it's really a great enough show for them to be stripping across the entire channel the way they do on almost a nightly basis. I don't know, I think that they're just kind of stretching too much with things that aren't really, uh, they don't quite have the chops to really resonate, I don't think. Yeah, it it, it does, I guess it still to me appears that they just read the whole situation wrong, I mean, because people even on other channels, aren't really going down the... the co- I mean, they just had this plan that, that they were going to be the home of comedy this year. I mean, yes, they didn't have the, the best shows to, to fit into that category, but, I mean, it seems that they just completely misfired and completely misread the audience and are now just, you know, having to go in a completely different direction. You know what I mean? I don't think that they're entirely wrong in thinking that the audience want comedy. I think they kind of do, but I think maybe the audience wanted comedy a lot more last year. I kind of feel like the last two to three years has been this sort of shift. And if you sort of look at it in like a political spectrum and you sort of look at the fact that we said goodbye to the John Howard era of Australia. And I kind of felt that people were a little bit sort of really angry, like just in terms of just the general state of being the zeitgeist where Australia just felt like a very angry nation for a little while there. And after Howard left, I kind of feel like Australia just wanted something a bit more light, a bit more relaxing where they probably were after comedy. But I think we've hit 2011 and people have moved on from just wanting that sort of relief and now they just want something with a bit more meat to it. Like, I don't think they're against the idea of comedy, but I think they just need more substance. And none of those shows on Nine have really delivered that substance that you need. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about Two and a Half Men and I don't because I absolutely hate that program. But, I mean, it, it's <laughs> so been... Yes, it's been in the headlines and it's and it's, and it's on five million times a week. Um it's obviously down significantly this year than it was on last year. I'm just wondering what you think the major reason for the decline is. Is it the fact that it's on five million times a week? I mean, yeah, combination. I think it just reached that saturation point where people were a bit tired of the show. And also, all the business with Charlie Sheen, I don't think has particularly impressed Australians that much. Australians don't really like someone who's that overly bombastic and effectively full of themselves. And so you kind of look at that guy, he's clearly pretty messed up. And I'm not sure Australian necessarily wants to see that on their screen on a nightly basis. And, I mean, you can't just look at the last three or four weeks of Charlie Sheenness and see that as being the part of the decline. Because I think that people have been aware of his complete nuttiness for the last sort of, couple of months anyway. Like, it's regularly reported. You get so many Ferraris going off the side of the cliff before people start swinging. Mm. I mean... The, the, the multiple screenings a week, I mean, has to be a, a major factor. I mean, they're getting through an entire season within within three weeks. I mean, I just got a, a funny enough, just today, got in a go amendment, which, of course, you get many go amendments coming in. But on Saturday, the 7th of May, they've got 7.30 truckers. And then at 8.30, they have got two and a half men. At 9 o'clock, they've got two and a half men. At 9.30, they've got two and a half men. At 10 o'clock, oh, two and a half men. 10.30, two and a half men. And 11 o'clock, guess what's on? I think I can take a guess. Two and a half men. I mean, they're clearly not learning from any of this or they don't think it's the oversaturation that's that's the problem. I mean, surely... I think they're just getting an actual viewership that it's not really a big issue for them. They're not after massive numbers on go. And if they're delivering what they're kind of hoping that they get, I think they're happy. Hmm... Yeah, again, it's about milking the show for what it's worth now, because it's not going to be around in about a year's time. The show will, you know, have a different 
um, lead on the lead on the show. It may fail dismally. It may revive the show entirely. It'll be kind of up to the fates at this point. So if I'm Channel 9 and I've got the right chance to get some decent ratings with next to no cost to it, like, you know, go for it. I don't think it's great for the longevity of the show and that brand or really for TV broadcasting in general. But, you know, I get where that comes from. Well, I guess we touched on this before with, with Ben Elton. I'm just I'm just wondering what your opinion um, is on why the show misfired. I mean, there's a lot of reasons out there that people have sort of said, oh, it's because of this or they didn't quite know what the show was. But, I mean, let's be honest, nobody turned up for episode one. So it's not like they saw the show and thought, well, hang on, this is not very good, and then didn't come back in week two. Literally, like, hardly anyone turned up for week one. I'm just wondering why you think that may have been. Not funny. Um, ben Olsen hasn't been funny for years. I think that people who knew who Ben Olsen is just knew that he wasn't really the strong performer that he once was, so they just didn't really care when they heard Ben Olsen has a new show. And the people of whom had never heard of Ben Olsen before, the people that weren't ABC viewers... Like, I just don't think they cared either. Like, there was nothing that Nine did to make us think that Ben Olsen was still a relevant performer in 2011. Mm. I, 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 see, the thing for me, though, is if you, if the show was screened at 9.30 or 8.30 on a Thursday night on Channel 7, do you think it would have got exactly the same ratings? Well, I don't think Channel 7 would have greenlit it. Oh, it's... That's like, possible. it's only worked because the AB, uh, Channel 9 seems to have this ABC fetishization at the moment, which, it's crazy, because I don't think that that necessarily lends itself well to the Channel 9 culture. And so they went with someone of whom was, you know, massive with that sort of viewership for years upon years through the 80s into the 90s, where he just hasn't been relevant. And I don't think Channel 7 are necessarily looking for that audience at the moment. Like, it just wouldn't have happened. Mm. Well, no, like, another on nine and it was just a massive mistake talk about collapsing shows uh top gear the last repeat episode um was under five hundred thousand. you can't blame the fact really that it's a repeat because even the new episodes when they were screening weren't doing significantly well why do you think this show is going south well, I don't know. People can barely find the shows that they want on a TV schedule, let alone be able to tell which ones are repeats and which ones are new episodes. I think, you know, there's only so many episodes of Top Gear. They make, what, like six a year generally, six or 12. Like, you know, there's only so many episodes. People have seen them all before. And it's only once you see the same repeat for the second or third time that you begin to twig onto the fact that, you know, you've seen it before. You may as well just spend your time doing something else. Yeah. I mean, that show is another one that's uh, getting a play on, on Go quite a lot. I mean, on the week commencing May the 1st, there is three episodes across the week. I mean, th- would that add to the, dec- the decline? Well, that's it. People are just stumbling across repeat after repeat. They're just tired of it. Mm. Well, I'm trying to look for a positive thing with the Channel 9, but I mean, the, the list of shows which you'd want to talk about... I, I, going backwards in terms of ratings. I mean, Underbelly was on the, was uh, down on last year. Do you think the movie franchise hurt the series, or, or was it not as good as, you know, the previous series, or what explanation do you have for its for its drop? I mean, one point... What was it, 1.2 million viewers a week? And then that actually went... dropped under a million on the, on the third movie. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I sort of lost interest, like, as a viewer after the first Underbelly series. It just wasn't really quite doing it for me the same way that I had previously... 
And I think that, like, from what I understand from other people that have sort of stuck with it, they've kind of felt the same way. And I think we've just reached this point now where the format could really only extend so far, and they've just kind of reached the end of people's interest. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, people stop watching when they lose interest. It's just a fact of the way we watch and consume. Mm. Million Dollar Drop, yeah. that, uh, that's had a drop in ratings too. Um, each each episode slightly goes up and down, but, I mean, it's definitely not a hit. How do you uh, explain that one? I don't know. How, million Dollar Drops seems to me like the sort of show that should be an event. Like, people should go, oh, my God, like, the next day, you want to hear people really talking about, oh, did you see that guy actually reach, you know, whatever the... You know, thing was where people just aren't really talking about. It. I don't think that people are excited by the show. Mm. Like I don't know. Not every format can work, and I just don't think that works that well as a format that enthuses people. All right. What about a, a current affair on Sundays? I mean, that's had mixed fortunes. I mean, the teenage bullying thing did well, but then most weeks, yeah, you'd have to say so-so. Um, do you think a Sunday edition of a current affair was a good idea to begin with? I don't know, like, I'm a bit sort of funny about this. I like the idea of a current affair on, like, most nights of the week, because I do like the idea of there just being this constant sort of static sort of notion within the time slot that you know it's dependable. At 6 o'clock, you can tune into the news. At 6.30, you can watch something like a current affair go through. And when you've got so many other channels all doing, like, weird random programming at all hours where there isn't that consistency, I do like the idea of that being there. But, I mean, for me, A Current Affair Sunday should be, like, the more light, relaxed sort of part of the, like, six-episode run of the show throughout the week. But when you've got A Current Affair, which is pretty much light and not really a particularly meaty show for the other five nights of the week, A Current Affair Sunday just feels like another installment of that. And I know they tried to lighten it up with, I think last week they did a Big Brother reunion show. Mm. Was it last week? Yeah. And it seems like... I kind of get what they're doing with it, but I just feel like it doesn't really do much. It doesn't feel like a current affair. It doesn't really feel like it fits in the rest of that week. Mm. Um, look, there is a, all the stuff that we talked about with Channel 9, there's a trend. I mean, two and a half men down, Big Bang Theory down, Mike and Molly, average ratings. Shit My Dad Says, average ratings, Underbelly down, Top Gear down, Ben Elton axed. CSI down, Farmer Wants a Wife down, The Mentalist down, Harry's Law failed and it's been shunted to 10.30, Getaway's down on last year, even the Sydney Footy Show, which was, wasn't was doing particularly well before, is doing even worse now. Um, but there's one thing that they've all got in common, I mean, they're all Channel 9 shows, and I was thinking back to what you said at the start of the podcast about the environment that we're in now and what, what qualifies as a hit show, but... The fact is, all these shows we talked about are on Channel 9, whereas the same sort of thing is not happening to Channel 7, which would explain... If the same thing was happening to 7, that would explain that, well, we're in a multi-channel environment, and... and but, I mean, all these shows are Channel 9. I mean... You know, it's not just the... It's not just an individual show of Ben Elton got axed because it wasn't very good. I mean, it's all, basically all of Channel 9's schedule... So, I mean, what do you think the reason behind this is? Is it people not trusting Nine, or, or, or is it that multi-channel environment? Well, that's it. I mean, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head with the people just don't trust Nine anymore. For years, though, and this is something that I see regularly on my blogs that I complain about consistently to anyone who will listen, streams on the street, passes by, whomever. Um, Channel Nine have always just kind of treated their audience like trash. Like, they've always been looking for that casual viewer. And if you're someone of, like, they don't give time, a show time enough to grow. Like on there, I noticed that you've mentioned Harry's Law. 
which failed and was sort of shunted to a late night time slot, it barely really had time to develop a bit of a following for people to learn that the show actually exists. And they've just repeatedly not done that for so many shows that if I know that there's a scripted show on Channel 9, I'm going to not bother tuning in because I know within three weeks it's going to be off the schedule. I mean, you're not even immune to that on stations like Go, where there aren't high ratings figures. But say, for example, Chuck, people start like people got really enthused about that two and a half years after it aired in the US. And mm-hmm. we're really keen to actually see what the show was about. But they had it on for two to three weeks before it made its way to like 12.30 at night. And then it was gone like a week and a half after that. Like, you know, if you actually want to watch an imported scripted show, like Channel 9's not the place for that. And, you know, in Farmer Wants a Wife, like, you know, these are shows of which I don't think are necessarily appointment viewing. They're casual viewing that you watch while you wait for that show that you're actually really excited about. Sometimes you get enthused in the show as time goes on, but they're not really shows of which, you know, I I wouldn't be driving along in my car and realize I've got to get home in five minutes time because Farmer Wants a Wife is on. Mm. You know, where's the enthusiasm from a lot of stuff on their schedule? Exactly. It's all... Yeah, it's all just casual viewing. And I don't know, I think that you need more than that to get people to watch a broadcast schedule these days. I'm going to try and zip my lip while you uh, comment on the next thing because Go is a very... I'm very quite passionate about the way that they're programming or don't program on that channel. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on the channel in 2011? I mean, the actual people sort of say... That, the, the schedule changes around and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, th- this is a reality. I mean, talking from someone that works on a TV website and gets these daily amendments and stuff from the networks, Go will often send amendments uh, two or three times a day on their schedule. Sometimes they will actually change the schedule that night on a particular day. Take, for example, tonight's schedule. Um, this has been recorded on a, on a Monday. They had a, a movie in at um, 9.30 tonight. They've now taken that out of the schedule less than 12 hours before it's broadcast and then putting on a different movie now instead. And quite often they'll take out entire programming on one night and, and stick it all with two and a half men. I mean, what's your thoughts on, on Go? Because obviously 7.2's overtaken it this, um, this year. I don't know. Again, it's really just about the consistency. I just don't find it on go at all. Any shows that I actually really enthused about never really last the distance because they're not getting that casual viewership through, but they're also not willing to give it time for a show to really find its audience and get people to tune in. Shows which I would have thought are appointment viewing would be things like Chuck and Community, two shows which I know have massive followings. I mean, I know this because a lot of friends of mine who don't watch TV regularly actually do make a bit of effort to sit down and watch Community when they stumble across it on the dial. The problem is they don't know where to find it across the dial because Chuck was gone within a matter of weeks. And Community, I think they took off after like three episodes of the new season aired because they got really close to airing it with US air date, which I thought was pretty rad. But it then, you know, just disappeared from the schedule. And I think it came back this week in a really late night time slot. Like, you're just not getting the loyal viewers. You're not letting people really find a show. Oh, look, absolutely. I mean, I I, I just guess I, I would like to see from a from a programming point of view at nine on, on how they think the channel should operate or how they think people are actually going to, to watch these shows when they take them off. I mean, if you are a fan of Fringe, which is returning next month, I mean, why would you watch it on go? I, I just have absolutely no idea. They, they, they It's been in every single time slot, double episodes, 8.30, 9.30, whatever, um, taken off, taken back in. I mean, why would you... Why would they 
Channel 9 think that people would watch Fringe on Go? When Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can kind of see Fringe on Go. I don't think it's really sort of that big a thing. I mean, I'd love to see it on Gem just because it's got massive production values in it. And Gem HD, I just like to see that. But, you know, I mean, I think it fits on Go. What I think the problem is, and this is the frustration that I feel that I can hear in your voice and that I regularly hear from others, is that they're just tired by this fact that you, TV's catering too much towards the casual viewer who's just looking for something at that time where they can just, you know, cruise into it and experience it. And if Channel 9 want to cater towards those viewers, or 10 or 7 or whomever, okay, if they want to cater to those viewers, that's fine. But what you need to do in order to make sure that you're attracting the maximum audience that you can is make sure that these viewers have another alternative. And if that means that they've actually got to make sure that they're, uh, for Channel 9 to be their, well, their catch-up service, fixed play, like make sure that that, show, that actually has the content updating regularly. Is Chuck not working on a regular basis? Fine, put it on fixed play and make sure that people know that it's there. And make sure that the same episode goes up at the same time every week. And maybe catch up to where they are in the US and make sure that it's available. It's a non-linear service, and you don't necessarily need to abide by the rules that you do with a free-to-air, broadcast, analog, you know, linear channel. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if viewers know that they can find the content there, they're willing to stick with the Channel 9 brand, and I'm sure Channel 9 can create advertising packages, which are maybe even more valuable to an advertiser, because you know that you're able to get a specific type of audience. You're not just after a wide audience who may not necessarily be the people that you're after. I know advertisers try to target specific shows because that is the audience they want. But, I mean, you can get a really specific, concentrated type of viewer with a program online that you just can't work with a broadcast signal. I don't understand why they're not trying to work with the advertiser in this field more. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, viewers are happy. If the advertisers become happy if you work it right. The last one of their channels, which we discussed when we uh, talked about 7.2, was, was Gem. This is, I guess, a channel that... Yes, I, it's supposed to be female skewed. I, I, don't, I really don't understand what, what, what this channel is or, or what direction that they're trying to take. I mean, I'm looking at the guide for the week commencing the 1st of May, which is the first week after the Eastern on ratings period. So this is returning to a full gem schedule. Sunday nights, we've got Antiques Roadshow, followed by a double episode of As Time Goes By. Monday night, we've got The Zoo, followed by a repeat of Mary Queen of Shops and a repeat of Kitchen Nightmares. Tuesday... Secret Dealers, which is, I think it's a Antiques Roadshow type sort of thing, a repeat of Hoarders, then a new episode of The Closer. Uh, Wednesday night, Hoarders, and a repeat of Hoarders again, repeat of The Closer, repeat of Law and Order. Thursday night, The Golden Girls, as time goes. I mean, I don't understand what this channel's supposed to be. Do you? Do you? No, no, I've got no idea. I mean, it felt like it was supposed to be targeting women based on the way they were talking about initially. You look at the schedule, and it doesn't really reflect that. It just feels general entertainment, and that's fine. I just wish they'd kind of own it a little bit more than they do. Branding-wise, just kind of feels a little bit skewy, and I just don't quite get it. I mean, I get it from the programming, but I don't get it from the ads, from the way the network guys talk about it. Yep. Well, we need to move, because there are three channels, so I suppose we better move on to Network 10. Yep. Um, and the big through this. The big change this year, of course, was the news lineup change. Um, before we get to the changes that were just made in the last couple of weeks where they moved Negan to 6.30, let me ask you if you think that the change to a news format in general was the right one to make, or should they have stuck with the original lineup or done something completely different in the first place? Yeah, well, I mean, I talk about this a lot on my podcast, 
televised revolution, find it televisedrevolution.com or the radiowolf.com, plugged on. Um, <laughs> we talk a bit because I'm a massive news junkie and I really like the idea of them going towards news. It made sense to me from the fact that with people moving towards online on demand content through all manner of different means, it seems to me that there's a few formats that actually work for linear broadcast television. One of those is sports and the other one is news. Because you can't record a news show and watch a you know half an hour an hour later because it feels like well it's not news anymore. Mm. Okay, and it's the same with sports. Like you want the result like when it goes to where. It's a pretty brave man who decides that he wants to try recording a football match. So I mean, news to me makes sense, and I could totally understand why that moved in that direction. I kind of feel that squeezing a ninety-minute bulletin between five and six thirty kind of feels like overkill, and I feel like they're just going to lose audiences to people of whom are after a sort of fresher take on the news, or at least a different take after watching, like, the Channel 10 news for that long. I mean, no one watches it for 90 minutes, but if you start tuning in at 5.45, you'll see some of the Channel 10 news, but at, like, that 6 o'clock mark, like, I don't know, I'm not sure how many people are that excited about sticking around with the 10 news and would actually move elsewhere. Nor do I know how many new viewers would come in at 6 o'clock and decide that they're going to join into a news bulletin that's already been running for an hour already like you're not necessarily going to get that same compressed half hour news experience now i mean it's rating better than it had been in that time slot so you know clearly they've made the right decision here but i mean for the idea like for the purity of the idea that they had originally i kind of just feel this tampers with it mm. and i don't know why I feel strongly about this either well like really i can't think it's important but i do feel strongly about it i don't understand why well, David Mott said uh, they were in it for the long haul when they announced uh, this whole news revolution thing at the start of the year, and within four months, the whole thing was revamped to a 90-minute news and George Negus at 6.30. Should well, they have made that change so soon or, or st stuck it out with that original long-haul plan? I mean, I'd have liked to see them stick it out. And, I mean, I know that Channel 10 last year probably would have gone to try to stick it out. They've got new management at the moment, and if I've got a new boss who's looking really closely at my job performance, and I've got this thing where in the past I would have been able to try to nurture it, but I know it's kind of make or break for A, the show, and B, my career, because I know that this new boss may want to start making some changes in the next year to make things more in line with what his vision is. I'm going to be trying to do things to make my performance look as good as possible. And if I've got a show that's struggling that badly, I mean, I'm not going to give it anywhere near as much faith and you know, tenderness as, you know, I otherwise would have. And, you know, I perfectly understand why they did it. And it's to try to save George Negus to a fair extent as well, because it's a good show. Like, it's a high-quality news program. But at the same time, it was drowning in that time slot. And if they didn't switch this over, like, that show would have been cancelled. And I think that would have been a massive shame for Australian news viewers. Mm. Well, I mean, in its new time slot now at 6.30, it's, it's starting to push that 500,000 mark. Uh, where do you see the, the show... Rating, say, in November? I don't know. I, like, I just don't see it growing that much more. Like, it's in a more friendly time slot for some viewers. So, I mean, clearly it's resonating with more viewers than it had. But I don't know. Like, I'm, I just don't know if that show is really going to work on 10. And it's a shame because I really do like the, I guess, sort of more foreign content on there. The more SBS World News flavor that I kind of experienced through that. Mm. It's a good show. I don't know. I just... I really can't see it existing beyond, like, another year. Oh. Well, I mean, it's... I, I'm just looking forward to... I actually think the show will grow a little bit, at least a little bit more, and I'm just waiting for, for that 
to put up on the website, George Negus beats a current affair in, oh, maybe not overall, but at least in one market, beats it in Adelaide or beats it in Melbourne or beats it. I mean, because it is certainly making inroads into Melbourne. It it has beaten a current affair in, in within a 15-minute block. But I mean, I just think it would be great for to shake up the, you know, the environment that we're in now with that Today Tonight current affair, they're stuck with the same shows and stuff, and someone's now offering an alternative, and quite a good alternative, and it'll actually pay off for Channel 10, and it'll actually make some inroads into a current affair. I just think that would be uh, fantastic. I'd love to see it as well, but I think you're a hopeless dreamer, kid. Well, as I said, it has beaten beaten uh, in a 15-minute block, um, 6.30, but let's see how it goes. Look, um, one of the programming decisions that I found quite funny was NCIS LA. It was rating very loading on Sunday night and then it moved to behind the original one on um, and its ratings went up and I suppose they're quite acceptable now. I mean, it was just a head-scratcher for me. I mean, it should always have been programmed behind NCIS. It never worked by itself. So, um, do you think it was just careless programming by 10 to, to put it on Sunday nights? Yeah, I don't know, like NTISLA, it's always just kind of had this weird sort of stink to it. It doesn't really feel like a high-quality show, it just kind of feels like something you might watch if it's just sort of on. I think two hours of NTIS would be overkill, and I don't know, it just kind of feels like a show they were kind of saddled with, gave it a go, it gets the casual viewers, but I don't know, I, I kind of feel like it's not really that big a, I guess, um, flagship 410 in any possible way. Well, I mean, it's doing quite well now, 700,000 or whatever after NCIS. I must say, this is the only program I think I've ever watched um, where I've watched it for one of the actors. I don't actually particularly like NCIS LA, but I just love the, the Hetty, the, the lady that's in charge of that, Linda Hunt. She's been in some great shows before, and I just think she's a great actor. And she actually makes that show better than it, than it actually is. But yeah, it's quite interesting. It's the only show I think I've ever watched in my life where I've purely watched it for one particular actor when I don't even particularly like the show. You know, have you ever done yeah. that? Well, my grade seven home economics teacher looked exactly like Linda Hunt, which has <laughs> freaked out ever since. <laughs> um, look, in my opinion, 10 did get the best output deal with America this year and, and had some potential hits there in Hawaii Five-O, Blue Bloods, Raising Hope. None of them really fired. Um, but even The Good Wife, SVU, Modern Family, Light of Me and House are also down this year. Why don't you think their American programs are hitting the mark in, in 2011? Yeah, I don't know. Like, Hawaii Five-O surprised me a little bit because I think it's a cracking good show. That I don't know. Like, it's got a fairly good sort of casual viewership sort of appeal to it. So, I don't know. Like, it just doesn't seem to quite be firing. Like, I thought that it would work. I don't quite get it. Blue Bloods, I kind of get. Like, it kind of feels very American and a little bit hackneyed in a way. I kind of like it, but at the same time, I get why people aren't watching it. Raising Hope, I never really quite liked. It just felt like a generic... I mean, it's not quite a generic show, but it feels like one of these shows that just kind of props up a schedule. Kind of like My Name is Earl. I never thought it was appointment viewing, but it's decent enough if you just stumble across it. Okay, it doesn't really quite feel the same way that Modern Family feels like a show that you should be tuning in each week to watch. It's got enough laughs to it, and you know that you're in for a good time with it. Whereas Raising Hope, like, you know, it might be good this week. Who knows? Mm. Um, yeah. The... One of the ones I spoke about, House there, um, it, it's just interesting because it stayed significantly strong in America and it's doing quite well over there. 10 Fast Tracker and don't throw in any repeats or anything like that, but it just they just can't get House to work um, 
again, I mean, it obviously rated well when it started. Any ideas why why Australians gave up on the show and Americans didn't? Yeah, I don't know. I think people are just tiring of it. I mean, it's doing well in the US, but that might just be an issue of what the time slot is and, you know, what the lead-in is. Because I think that that follows American Idol a lot of the time. So, I mean, it may have just developed a loyal viewership through that kind of a schedule. Mm. Um, yeah. un- Undercover Boss um, fell flat this year, and that was actually quite a big show for them last year. I mean, what happened there? I think people develop common sense. I think yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Once you've seen one episode, you've seen them all. I think that's it. I never quite got why that show actually really resonated that heavily, and I don't think it did. I think lots of people just happened to tune in for it a few times. I um moving on to my favorite. Well, what, I think one of my favorite channels, which is Eleven. I just think the way that they they've programmed this this channel that they can they they're showing that they can get good audiences by showing normal scripting programming. Each night of the week, new episodes, some of it fast-tracked, and they're not having to resort to, you know, like the two-and-a-half-men type thing, overblowing or throwing in movies and stuff all the time. There have been very few changes. I think 90210 was the only new episode show, given the flick, but it's now airing on Saturday nights. And um, they they did have an issue on Saturday nights, but um, they're addressing that now with moving... The result shows, so you think you can dance on Saturday nights. They've got The Biggest Loser, USA, starting there very soon. And then the only other thing was Smallville moved from 8.30 to 10.30. So they've made some minor tweaks, but they have pretty much ironed them out, and the channel is doing very well. In fact, I think Eleven will come close to toppling Go in a week of ratings soon. Not last weekend, but the weekend before. Uh, Go rated 4%, 4%, Eleven 3.9%, so it was the slimmest of margins. Um, So why do you think Eleven clicked with viewers or did i just steal the answer to that i think you kind of stole the answer to it effectively i think 11 have done a bunch of things right and uh you kind of feel as a viewer if you want to tune into a show it's on in that time slot like it is consistent beyond belief um over the weekends as well like throughout the daytime the schedule remains the same which i find a little bit strange and it's a bit hard as a regular viewer of whatever trash it is you want to watch in the middle of the day like macgyver for example which i do um, I think the other thing as well is that they've actually got that really smart idea where from, I think it's like 3.30 till 7, I've got couch time with Labby and Stav. And while that isn't necessarily something that drives me towards that, as if you were like, I think that if you're someone of whom is a bit more likely to be interested in what Stav and Labby are up to, you're probably going to tune in because you don't want to miss something that they're doing. Mm. Like, I don't know, it just kind of, I think, sets a tone for the station, builds consistent viewership through initiatives like that. And, I don't, like, also, they've got a really good social media presence. Like, they tie Twitter heavily into that show. The viewers get involved in it. And it's got that same vibe that you got with those request shows that you found on Channel V a few years ago, which I'm sure they probably still do. But it's been a while since I've been a regular Channel V viewer. But, you know, the actual viewer is able to get involved in the show. They see their name on screen. You know, there's actually some back and forth going on. Yeah. They're, they're, they're primetime scheduled too. Um, obviously, the channel's started, so and some of the shows that they brought back need time to catch up and things like that. But pretty much starting in 2012 next year, when February comes along, most of the programs, like 90 95% of the programs, will be fast-tracked because they would have caught up with, with everything. I mean, Supernatural, they're now showing the season that is currently screening in America. So when they come to the new season in September, October, 
uh, 11 will be able to fast track it. So it actually seems like it's going to get even more exciting. Some of these shows will, st- will start catching up and, and airing fresh episodes. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you're spot on, and I think they really need to do that. Like, piracy is a big issue in Australia. You're finding viewers who are just less reliant on broadcast and more inclined to go elsewhere for their entertainment just because these programs have been delayed so often over the last couple of years. If they do... If Channel 11, which will keep things in consistent time slots, if they do start catching up, like, it builds faith amongst the viewership again. People will tune in or at least use their PVRs instead of their torrent files. Yep. Look, the other the other one uh, big topic uh, very recently is one from May the 8th. It becomes a general entertainment channel with some key sports staying. Was this change needed or are you not, not impressed at all? Um, probably needed to be done. Uh, one's a bit funny. I mean, one, it was a little bit awkward from the perspective of it just wasn't rating in prime time, which is a massive issue. And a lot of the sports they did just weren't. Australia's time zone is different to a lot of the global sports. And so you weren't really getting those sort of big sports that they did have airing in prime time. So you had to do something through Monday to Friday. It just wasn't really syncing up the way they needed it to. And this should probably work okay. I think there's a bunch of great shows that they are looking at launching. Um, Sons of Anarchy, which has been mooted for one, but people the other day were saying that maybe it's going to end up on 11, so I'm not too sure. But there's a bunch of FX shows like Lights Out, which I think is great. It's absolutely cracking viewing. That should fit in well with what one has been branded to be. And, yeah, there's enough decent stuff coming through to make it a bit of an exciting world of TV. Well, here's a, I guess, one I, I, I guess I totally disagree. Uh, with, with, I mean, I agree that this should be a general entertainment channel um, with some key sports on it, so I like the idea of changing it. Yes, they've got um, Son of Anarchy, which should be great. I must say, I was, I was expecting a lot more popular bloke shows. I mean, Channel 10 do have Eureka up their sleeve. They've got Friday Night... Friday Night Lights new seasons. I mean, they possibly could show the original Law and Order, which wasn't a big rater on on Channel Ten. They've got a season of that to well, screen. Channel, They've got numbers. What's that? Well, like consider some of these shows that you are talking about, though. Eureka is a very niche program, even within a niche channel. Like, I'm not sure that really has much of a widespread cut through. Friday Night Lights, which just wound up in the US. I think would play really well on 11 because it is a youth-orientated show. I don't necessarily think that 1 is the place for that. Um, Law and Order, I'm pretty sure Channel 9 is screening... Oh, sorry, Gem have the original series on from time to time. Yeah, that, um, that... Numbers being cancelled a few years ago, so there's no real value to that anymore. Um, don't forget the lyrics, like, you know, who cares? Um, in Plain Sight, Cracker Show, hope that it's on. Um, Psych and Burn Notice, I agree, they probably should be on one, and there's a home for it, and there's a good chance you might see Burn Notice crossover. Yeah, I mean, you did mention a couple of good shows that are coming up, but I mean, I looked at the rest of the schedule. I mean, Ice Road Truckers, Extreme Fishing, I'm not really that impressed by it. I, there's almost yeah, a couple of the programs that you mentioned, yes, I, I would have a look at, but I mean, I thought the new lineup was quite... I mean, the reason I mentioned those other shows before is because at least they have some profile. I mean, Channel 10 still do have a full season, new episode of Law and Order to screen. Uh, Gemma are showing old seasons of that. I mean, yes, Numbers was cancelled, but I mean, that was a higher profile show that was still, you know, screening 500,000 viewers a week, which could, you know, put some presence into that channel and some, some familiar programming. I just don't see anything apart from one or two programs, anything that interesting about the new relaunch one? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we haven't actually seen a proper schedule yet. 
the only information we've really had has been the um, ISX, um, what would you call it, a uh, the ISX, ISX statement that's been made, which has had a grid of some potential shows on there. We just haven't quite seen what they're going to really be offering. So I reckon wait till there's a schedule before you get too freaked out about not being that excited. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, look, so that's really our, our review of, of the channels. Um, I guess just one question looking ahead in, in a sentence or two, looking forward for the rest of the year, how are the channels placed? Do you think they'll go up and down or hold steady? So um, first of all, Channel 7. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that we're probably going to see trends continue for the rest of the year that we have now. I'd be interested to see Channel 9 where they learn from the few mistakes from the beginning of the season and actually do sort of start to, um, I guess, ramp up for the rest of the year. With Easter, I think that'll give some time for reflection, a couple of weeks where the executives aren't necessarily in there day in, day out. And, I don't know, people just it refreshes people when they do have a little bit of a break. And I reckon we might see that within Easter as well this year where, you know, they actually do start retailoring the show, just get a bit of extra steam. Uh, Channel 10 will be interesting mid-year if you do get James Warburton through. It'll be interesting to see if they actually make any changes on the fly then or if we're going to be waiting until 2012 to really see some major changes happen. And Channel 7, I think they've got some momentum. We'll see how they go. Yep, so, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of stuff still to come, some big shows, um, MasterChef still to come, Australia's Got Talent, uh, The X Factor, if you call that a big show. But, um, look, we do focus at TV Central on the free-to-air business, but it would be silly to mention, uh, not to mention Foxtel boss Kim Williams' uh, recent comments about the changes to broadcasting, where he suggests the company will prioritise internet uh, internet providing, then broadcast second. Just give us in a nutshell, because I know you know more about this than me, of, of what Kim's actually talking about. What is, the, what is the gist of all this? Okay, well, basically, if you really look what the future of TV is, it isn't in a linear, um, you know, midnight through to midnight broadcast where you're just watching, you know, shows as delivered to you, but rather it's about shows being delivered via the cloud. So the idea would be that kind of like the ABC iView, you log into a website and you can just choose the shows that you want to watch and fire them up. Now, in the US, you've got things like Netflix at the moment. Where Have you ever had the chance to play with Netflix? No, not really, no. no? Like, do you know how it works at all? Or Yeah, I understand the principle of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I've got the chance to actually sit down and play with it. One of my listeners from, well, listeners, one of my readers from Crikey dropped me an email last week, the week before, and asked me if I want to stop by their place and sit down and play with Netflix. So I went over there. I had the remote in my hand. And there is so much content and so much freedom to go through both movies and TV shows that, I mean, the content for a lot of it wasn't great. There was a lot of the old archive and catalog titles within the movies. But, you know, I could flick onto like the X-Files and suddenly see nine seasons of the X-Files all waiting for me with a monthly charge of $9 a month. Oh, sorry, $8 a month, so like $7.99 US, yeah. which, you know, I mean, that's a phenomenal sort of value offering. And when you realize that all you need is a set-top box and a... Well, like, he was using Apple TV, I think, as his um, box to access the content. So just using one of these boxes and then paying 8 bucks a month, like, it was absolutely amazing the amount of content you could get through. Like, there was no reason I'd want to watch, uh, like, have to wait an hour and a half for my favorite TV show to come on when it's just there on a server for me to watch. Like, it's just an, a great... Well, it's an amazing sort of value proposition, both as a viewer for consumption as well as um, just in terms of getting people to subscribe to it. Like, it's a really nifty idea. Now, Foxtel will probably have a very similar interface to that. I can't see them going for something anywhere near as cheap as $8 a month. 
which might be partially to their detriment because there's so much competition out there from other IPTV stations or IPTV services rather that I don't know I think Foxtel's pricing might cause some problems but you know I mean that might be the problem of being in a country of only so like 20 million people as opposed to other countries where they can actually have a much cheaper rate for this kind of content I don't know essentially it's Kim Williams really trying to level out the playing field and make sure that Foxtel can compete and maintain their dominance in there with their you know content deals that they've already struck and make sure they are a relevant uh, content provider in the years to come so all this talk from from Kim Williams what implications will that directly have on the consumer for Foxtel in, in Australia in the next one or two years what 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 will they see Okay, well, what they're talking about is 18 months to research exactly what they're going to do in this space. But what you're going to start finding is that people's IQ boxes will probably still be able to access analog sort of linear streams the way that they do now. But they'll just have a lot more access to this IPTV content, a lot more Foxtel on demand. And I mean, they already kind of do that through the website, but I think you're just going to start seeing it integrated a hell of a lot more through their IQ boxes. So for a viewer, I think it really just means more choice and more, um, I guess, sort of freedom to really manage their own entertainment needs from it. Um, whether it might mean sort of price reductions as well as other IPTV players actually develop in the sort of world is a little bit sort of more exciting. Um, one of the things it probably does mean, though, is that because you're all doing, because it's largely streaming services, you don't actually need an IQ box as they have it to be able to access a streaming service. There's lots of like Sony TVs, for example. If you buy a Sony TV, there'll be widgets on the screen where you can go into various portals. Like you can buy them now where you can go into ABC's iView through your TV and it'll just stream the service that way. Um, SBS is available on some products as well. And um, there's someone else doing some stuff. Oh, Channel 7's got a lot of programs available. The same way they do through their Plus 7 uh, catch-up service. You can watch that through your TV directly. So Foxtel, all they really need to do is start moving towards allowing widgets like that to appear on people's TV sets. And you're not going to need a you know, cable to be installed in your house anymore. Any house with an internet connection can access this content and this wealth of content. So, I mean, I think it's kind of an exciting thing for viewers whereby anybody can get it. If you're a renter, you don't need a satellite on your house anymore or some sort of cable to be installed, which is always problematic. You can just have your TV. Yeah. Well... Yeah. So, I, what would this mean for, for free-to-wear? I mean, obviously, if you've got Foxtel and you've got these different devices, I mean, it would be easier to set up. I mean, can the free-to-wear TV model change in, in the future to reflect this, or is that a lot more difficult? Well, I mean, this is the problem. Like, I sit here in 2011, I see what the free-to-wear channels have done with their catch-up services, and then I also look at people I know who have experienced what Netflix is about, for example, Okay, and you look at the reaction they've had to this, and they're like, okay, TV's exciting again. They're like, they actually want to engage on that, whereas these are people that don't necessarily watch free-to-air television. And I think once people actually start seeing the possibilities that IPTV really delivers, they're not going to be anywhere near excited about the sort of um, products that we're being offered now. So you yeah. look at, say, Channel 7 with Fixed Play, they've got some shows up there, and it's kind of okay, but they're not really putting everything up there. And the actual sort of time delay on some things isn't great. And it's just not really a great sort of... I've never seen anyone excited by it, I think mm. is what I'm saying. And you look at Channel 9 with Fixed Play, like, nobody's excited by that. Um, ABC viewers get excited about iView. And, I mean, they're definitely the one organisation in Australia doing it right. And the SBS have tried, but they haven't really quite gotten over the line. But it'll be interesting to see with their new CEO where they actually take that. 
because I think of all the networks in Australia that can really benefit from IPTV services and branding associated with that, SBS are in such a brilliant position for this. And the new guy, I think, has that behind him. I don't really know much about him yet, so I'm sort of reading into that as we speak. Well, thanks uh, so much for giving us a bit of an insight into the to the future there of TV. Um, last question, really, about you, really. Um, tell us what's coming up for you. What what can listeners and readers look forward to? What are you working on? Um, okay, well, uh, it's three regular podcasts I'm involved with. So Televised Revolution, which is our primary TV industry discussion thing, much the same as what we've been doing now for the last, what, like 60 minutes. My God, are people really listening for this long? Um, so there's Televised <laughs> Revolution. Uh, there's the 400 Club where we review TV programs. So as long as it's aired somewhere in the world that week, we review it for that week. Um, it's not necessarily reliant on Australian broadcast time. So if you're spoiler sensitive, it may not be the podcast for you. But it's a really entertaining panel we've got, and there's some sharp people there. Um, I also write a blog for Crikey. Uh, but we've also recently launched a third podcast called Digital Munch, which is about digital cultures and how people live their life within it. So we talk about um, food, dating, sex, all within the scope of um, what digital culture sort of surrounds it. It's a kind of interesting listen. So we've had about two of those now, and I know about some of the subjects coming up, and there's some great stuff ahead of us. Um, I've also just launched a podcast network, which you can check out at theradiowolf.com. The site's still a little bit under construction, but, you know, bear with me for a few weeks. Um, and also, uh, there's the Crikey blog. And the big thing to maybe promote is uh, Televised Revolution on the Night of the Loogies uh, doing a live call. So it'll be streamed online, and we'll have details up about that shortly. So just follow televisedrevolution.com or our Twitter, TV underscore Rev, R-E-V, and I'll be promoting the hell out of that thing. Wow, maybe I should have asked you what, what you what you don't do, because that would have been a quicker answer. You you obviously got doing got a few different projects on the on the go at the moment. I need sleep, Aaron. I need sleep. Well, how about uh, we'll let you have some sleep now. Uh, Dan Barrett, <laughs> producer and co-host of the TV industry discussion podcast, Televised Revolution, uh, who, as he mentioned, produces and co-hosts the TV review podcast, The 400 Club, and he writes for the TV blog at Crikey, uh, White Noise. And you can catch uh, all of those sort of podcasts. I had a look at the other day. He just mentioned the website, theradiowolf.com. So thank you so much for joining me at TV Central, Dan. It's been awesome, Aaron. Thanks so much. No worries. Well, uh, that is another TV Central podcast. Check out the site for further podcasts, news, reviews, guides, ratings, amendments, and loads more. Until the next podcast, I'm Aaron Ryan for tvcentral.com.au. See you then.